The other day I was at a conference, AFP Icon, which is a ginormous fundraising conference. And we had a confessions booth for nonprofit consultants. And one of the consultants, um, Julia Campbell, she is happy to share her, her name. She confessed in our little phone booth that she had a client she hated working with. And the reason that I'm sharing this with you today, and I think it's relevant to our conversation, is when we asked her if she was worried that the client might hear what she was saying, she said very straightforwardly, even if they heard it, they wouldn't think it's them. They lacked the self-awareness to see that they were the problem. And as we go into today's conversation, I think that that's an important reminder for all of us that sometimes we might think we're awesome, but we're doing things that might not be so awesome. So we're going to talk about that in the context of micromanaging. You're listening to the Small Nonprofit Podcast, and I'm your host, Cindy Wagman. On the podcast, we bring you practical down-to-earth advice on how to get more done in your small organization, because you are going to change the world, and we're here to help. So today, I'm so excited to be joined by Erin Allgood. And yes, that's her last name and her company is Allgood Strategies. Another fun story is, you know, I always joke with my friends that all the companies that work in the nonprofit sector have to have good in their name, but Erin has earned that. Uh, That's a birthright for her. (laughs) And so Allgood Strategies, Erin, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm so excited to be with you and to be talking about this topic. Yeah. So my name is Erin Allgood. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I am a social impact strategist, and I focus my work on helping organizations with their vision and strategy for social impact and sustainability. And really, I do that work through an equity and intersectional lens as well. So oftentimes I'm doing things like strategic planning, I'm doing organizational development, coaching, and all through that kind of like equity and intersectional lens. I love that. And when you and I were talking to prepare for this podcast, like we started talking about all those things and somehow the conversation turned to micromanagers. I think when we started talking about strategy, remote work, like changes in, that have happened over the last few years. And I was like, ooh. We need to talk about that because we haven't yet. So talk to me about what you see in organizations that you work with when it comes to this being a problem for them achieving their strategic goals. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's what I will see for organizations is there's oftentimes they're at two different extremes. One is that they have a very laissez-faire attitude and they're just like, they'll be fine. Like my employees are great. Like they'll, they know what they're doing. That is, could be an entire other podcast (laughs) episode for sure. And then there's the other ones who are kind of stuck in that micromanaging kind of habits and have a really, really hard time breaking away from that. And so I think it's gotten a lot worse with, you know, the rise of remote work and the pandemic. I think a lot of folks tend to you know, leaders will will start to kind of fall into that trap of being micromanagers, especially if they feel like they don't have control in other areas of their life. So, (laughs) and I say that perhaps from personal experience, like the joke in my household is that I'm the in-charge one. 
I'm the one who's in charge of everything. And, you know, I think I can relate. (laughs) Yeah. Like you were saying before, being like self-aware around those kinds of things. And I think that's partly why I can actually identify it pretty quickly when I see it in my organizations that I work with. So let's talk about that because like, I actually am a control freak and I like, and I do all the organizing and stuff, but I actually, when it comes to working with people, usually fall on the more laissez-faire side, which again, not great. I like throw people into the deep end before I even ask them if they can swim when it comes to work. So let's talk about what micromanaging in a work environment looks like. Yeah. So I've seen it happen before where folks need constant like checking in with their staff, need them to be, you know, on Slack at all times, need them to be uber responsive, need them to review any decision or go through them for approval. I see it oftentimes with uh, like a lot of boards as well, too. Um, I've been reflecting on that a lot lately. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) We could talk about that for a long time, too. Yeah, I think a lot of organizations, when they start to this transition from kind of being like a one or two person shop to starting to scale and grow and become bigger, they have a lot of challenges just around like, how do you delegate work appropriately? And Mm -hmm. how do you do it in a way where you don't need to have a constant eye on every single little thing that's happening? It's related to trust. You know, a lot of folks... A lot of leaders just don't have that trust in their staff to just kind of know that they'll actually be able to get that work done and the trust that if somebody does actually make a mistake, that it's recoverable. You know, and I think that that's where folks start to get into trouble is they just kind of assume that they're the only ones who can do anything right. Mm. I have so many things I want us to talk about. I'm just making note. (laughs) You made me think of, my kids actually, where they, I think it's catastrophize things. Is that the right way to say it? Where like something goes wrong and it's like the end of the world, but we're going to come back to that because you said earlier, the lack of control in other areas that people who tend to micromanage in the workplace are compensating for something. So what other areas of that control in other areas of their work, or is it their personal life or all of it? Like, tell me more about that. Yeah. I think it can be all sorts of different shades depending on the person. For myself, like even during the pandemic and the very beginning stages of the pandemic, you know, it was, I had no control over anything. <laughs> you know, so many of us didn't have control over anything. It's nada. Yeah. And so I, um, I found myself just kind of diving into my own work as a means of being like the space that I could actually control. and. I see that in a lot of my clients as well. It's just that they're either perhaps like something happened in their personal life, or it might be that they just aren't able to wrap their like arms around, you know, the changes that are happening, perhaps, whether that's in the world, whether that's in their organization as well. And that can lead to that feeling out of control that can lead to it, you know, just folks not feeling like they are completely in charge of their own future, Mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, because I think most of us are feeling that way these days, right? Like there's this environment that is basically breeding (laughs) that for everyone. And so, again, I'm going to bring my kids into this. Maybe that's, uh, but like (laughs) oftentimes with parenting stuff, you'll hear people say, you know, 
you create an environment where you can give your kids safe choices and give them a sense of control over things that they can control because otherwise they will push for control on things that are not helpful to you as a parent. So I think that that is so important to remember right now that we're all operating in this really unique environment where I think everyone feels a lack of control. Yeah. 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 And people have different tolerances around what, like how that works Mm. for them, (laughs) you know? Oh my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Totally, totally different tolerance levels. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of delegating, right? Because we can't control everything, but, you know, arguably we have responsibility. There are things that we need to control the outcomes or the, you know, outputs around. And at the end of the day, we're responsible for those things. So how do we start to think about delegating in a meaningful way that can maybe cure us of some of this micromanaging? Yeah, it's, I think about it um, in terms of boundaries, (laughs) which is an interesting thing. I, you know, like you were just saying with your kids, like giving them like space to make choices in a safe way. So it's not that they have this complete wide open space in which they can be just doing whatever they want. They have boundaries around what's actually like you're you're creating some of those boundaries. I think that that's what the where if folks can get their head around it and start or wrap their head around delegating, figuring out what those boundaries are for themselves, like what absolutely needs to be approved by them versus by somebody else. Like what decisions fall in their purview what decisions fall in somebody else's purview. And that's, I work with a lot of clients on just getting super clear about those kinds of things and helping to kind of almost like wrestle away some of that control (laughs) and say like, okay, what does it look like? You know, what would be the worst case scenario if someone actually, you know, fucked this up? (laughs) I don't know if I can swear. Can I swear? swear. That's fine. You know, um, but you know, like what would happen if like this happened? Like you're not going to hand over like, your donor database to somebody you don't trust. You know what I mean? If that's like where your kind of like level is at, you're going to wait until you actually have that like trust that that person's going to be able to go in and do that and not, you know, not message the entire database with a (laughs) invite to their personal fundraiser or something like that. I saw that come across one of my Facebook groups recently. Somebody like emailed like 10,000 people at their donor (gasps) database with their personal fundraiser. And somebody was like, how do I even like deal with it? Oh my goodness. (laughs) But the world didn't end. No. Right? Like, <laughs> it's and, embarrassing, but it's not the end of the world. Right. Yep. So it's boundaries. I think it's like yeah. you figure out what works for you, what you feel comfortable with. And it's okay to start small in some of these respects as well, especially if you're somebody who has been in a smaller shop that has been doing it all yourself for mm-hmm. so long. It's, you know, kind of just like dipping your toe in the water. And also creating the frameworks that you need, the boundaries, like actually putting those things into writing so that it's not squishy. Because that's the other Mm. place I see people get um, into trouble is that they leave those boundaries very, very squishy and they don't Mm -hmm. define them properly. And then people are like, well, I don't understand why so-and-so can't seem to like, you know, perform at this level or whatever it might be. And it's like, one, you didn't empower them to actually do their job <laughs> like properly. And two, you didn't define what they actually could and couldn't do. So there's a lot of confusion there. Yeah. Lack of empowerment and the and confusion, that's like a recipe for disaster, you know, or a recipe for somebody just not being able to do their job properly. Yeah. Yeah. 
which no one wants. It doesn't help you as a micromanager or a temporary micromanager, maybe if the environment has created a, uh, all of us to be micromanagers right now in some way, shape or form. But you know, it's not good for us and it's not good for the people we work with. So yeah, we don't want that. I want to talk about, you said like, what's the worst case scenario? And I think that that is such a helpful question because as you were talking, one of the things that I thought of as I channel our listeners is like, but our work is so important and everything is urgent. And usually we're working in the sector with no resources, we're burnt out, having the bandwidth, everything does feel like is back to that catastrophe. Like everything feels like if something goes wrong, it's almost like, you know, the spinning plates. And if you drop one, like, are you going to drop all the others and everything comes crashing down? And so I understand that feeling of uh, worry or overwhelm that a small mistake can feel like a huge one. How do we start to shift our perspective on that? Mm. I think through, I mean, a lot of like conversations and things like that. Like, I think that other people can provide insight. And another thing that I see leaders do a lot is that they go it alone in just even kind of understanding how to manage whatever it is that they're facing. They don't rely upon other people, Mm. you know, for that assistance, for that insight, or even just that gut check to be like, oh, you're making a, you know, a mountain out of this molehill. Like that's, that happens all the time, you know, and it's a bigger problem. I, I don't know. I've been thinking about this quite a bit is that so many leaders feel alone, mm. like so lonely and they don't have anybody to like to bounce off of at all. And so it's got to feel really weighty when you're the one who's making all of the big decisions by yourself without anybody else to help really guide you through those decision making processes or thought processes. Yeah. So I think just being able to kind of break away from this individualistic nature that we have to recognize that we should be doing things in collaboration with others. And, you know, a hallmark of white supremacy culture is this individualism, you know, Mm, and I mean, so much of what I see in all of these organizations is this like these replicating of white supremacy culture systems of oppression within the organization itself. and so for me, it's I will help organizations start to break up with some of that, those ideas or those concepts or, or practices by kind of just bringing their attention to that, that like we can't do our best work if we are operating in a way that is oppressive. Mm, totally yeah. taking this all over the place. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I hope that's OK. <laughs> it's totally great. Yeah, because I think that this is one of those things where we think it's a personal fault, right? Or a personal characteristic that is less than ideal or bad even. And what I'm hearing is that, you know, there are lots of factors that create the environment for us to behave this way, you know? And so we can't, and this also, you know, to me is a lot, is how I think about anti-racism, right? We can't change where we've come from and what's happened and the things that we've internalized, but we can recognize it and we can work to change it going forward. So we can't change the past, 
And there's only so much control we have over the environment that we're in, whether it's living with COVID for the past few years or being in a, you know, racist, capitalist society. All of these things are at play on us and shape us. And so I think if anything, it gives me some reassurance to be like, looking at those micromanagers that I may have had, like I have a little more empathy, I think for their experience and we can change things. Right. Empathy is so important because we want to treat people like they're whole self-actualized human beings. You know what I mean? We don't want to like reduce them down to the micromanaging as just like the only thing we know them through. Um, And through, I think like being able to model that too, I see leaders be able to turn around and start to model it for their staff too. Mm. Okay. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we can model doing things differently and especially around building trust. Mm. Yeah. Building trust is all about building relationships. I think that there oftentimes is this very, there's a gap between, you know, like the executive director and the staff members per se, or whatever that, whatever that gap looks like, break down that gap a little bit you know, get to know one another, get to, you know, be in space with one another. Um, I have a client that I've worked with who there's two different teams that are constantly at odds with one another. Mm-hmm. And they, and I, I basically brought it to, you know, I've worked with them for a while now. I had to say like, you know, you have to build the relationships with one another. You literally just have to be in meetings and spaces with one another so that you can actually start to, instead of this like othering mm-hmm. thing that's happening where mm-hmm. where like each side is kind of vilifying the other, like you actually have to be able to see each other as human beings and not that this person's like trying to make your life harder or vice versa or whatever that might be. And but so aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I mean, like they probably are in some ways, you know, I mean, but like, I mean, work is never going to be like just puppy dogs and rainbows. Why but not, I think, though? yeah, I know. It, well, it can, it could be if we could just allow ourselves to, you know, break up with all of the BS that we've been mm-hmm. told that work has to be. Yeah. You know, if we could start to shift beyond that, that would be amazing. Yeah. And I think like talking about that team dynamic, and I see this where we get entrenched in our identity and our beliefs around other people. And It does take a lot of vulnerability to be able to open up once you're in that like us versus them mentality. It's not nothing, but I, you know, to be vulnerable and to let yourself open up to building that relationship, but it's hard. It's hard. And I think um, you need, you need someone to, to take control or leadership of that. Um, what have you seen work for some of the organizations who are like for that organization, you know, getting them in, in the room can be great, but I think you need to create the environment where you know it's going to be great. Right. With that group in particular, I worked with them through a series of different workshops with like some coaching kind of built into it as well. I was there as a facilitator to really help them kind of to, to steer the ship, you know, so to speak. And just kind of keep us on track and to be able to reflect back everything that I was hearing. 
So there was like, we were able to use that as like some relationship building as well. Like I always build that into any kind of engagement that I have is like just very, very discreetly making sure that that is a priority Um, because people oftentimes they're like, oh, well, we've got all these desired outcomes that we want to hit. Like we have to plow through this meeting and get all of these different bits and pieces out of it. You know, if we don't leave here without like all this like input, the world's over. And I'm like, actually, if we get through this meeting and don't actually you know, prioritize the relationship part of things, like we might as well not have met because that relationship piece in any type of organization, any type of team is what is actually going to help propel the work forward always, you know, and, and people tend to think of that like human element as not being um, as, as important as kind of like the nuts and bolts of things. Mm, So good. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. (laughs) Um, And I definitely have a lot more empathy for micromanagers and more awareness of maybe where I've done this. Certainly, I do it in my personal life all the time. (laughs) What is there anything we haven't talked about or anything that's running through your head that you want to share? Well, I think I'll pick up on the empathy for the micromanagers for a moment. I, I try very hard to get at the root cause of things whenever I'm working with an organization. Whatever we see on the surface, whatever that behavior is that we see on the surface, there is a whole slew of stuff underneath that is giving rise to that behavior. Same thing probably you think about with your kids too. You know, like probably a lot of, you know, a temper tantrum is never just an isolated incident. There's so much that goes into something like that. And I see that in the workplaces too. I see that in the organizations that I work with. I see it when when I see boards like trying to, you know, take over day-to-day stuff too. I mean, that's we could talk about boards also at length. And it's oftentimes because there's just there's something else that's wrong. There's something below the surface that needs some investigation and maybe some gentle prodding to kind of figure out what that might be and to be able to to bring it forth. I think you probably can relate to this that us like nonprofit consultants were almost like therapists in some ways. We're like <laughs> yeah. nonprofit therapists. And and that's a, a lot of like the energy that I bring to these spaces is I try to grip, give folks that understanding of like the ways in which you're seeing like the reactions of other people that's rooted in something deeper than just kind of what you're saying. And then we're also that relating it to the culture that we are swimming in as well. So we haven't been shown different ways of working. We mm-hmm. default to this kind of patriarchal, capitalistic, you know, oppressive way of working because that's the model that we've seen time and time again. And we do have agency to be able to change that. But it takes work and it takes reconciling with the ways in which we actually want to make those changes. Mm-hmm. That's such a beautiful way to wrap up. Erin, thank you so much for having this conversation today. I just think it's such a important thing to be talking about right now. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Where can our listeners uh, learn more about you and what you do? Yeah. Um, folks can connect with me on LinkedIn. I love to connect with folks there, even though I'm just a very sporadic poster at this point. <laughs> but also folks can check out, I have my own uh, podcast called Rise and Rouse, Conversations for Those Who Give a Damn, uh, where I interview change makers who are from all sorts of walks of life. So folks can find me there on any podcast player too. Awesome. Thank you. And of course, to you, our listeners, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. 
I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.